0: On today's A.V. Social, we'll look at the trend of globalization, how this impacts the branding and messaging of a firm, and how to navigate the waters of a new geographical market. The Network for the A.V. Industry.
1: What are you listening to? This. This is A.V. This. This. This is A.V. Nation. Nation. This is A.V. Nation.
0: This is AV Social, episode 54, International Marketing.
1: Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Kramer, AV beyond the box. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the latest AV Social. We are one month away from the biggest trade show in the world. AV manufacturers have expanded globally over the past 30 years. Now, more and more manufacturers and integrators are also expanding beyond their country of origin. On today's AV Social, we'll look at the glo- growing trend of globalization, how this impacts the branding and messaging of a firm, and also how to navigate the waters of a new geographical market.
0: Thank you, Don. Um, you're here today with your wonderful co-host, uh, myself, Kelly Perkins, uh, and Co-host Don over here, who did the introduction for us. Say hi, Don.
1: Hi. Sorry, I forgot to introduce myself. <laughs> it's <laughs> <Okay>. Friday <laughs>
0: for reals. Um, and then we have our uh, amazing one guest today, Megan Dutta. She is. She has the personality to take up many, many guests. So we're lucky to have her um, with Future. Say hi, Megan. Hello. Thanks for having me. You have like an all-woman dream team today, huh?
1: Yes, girl it's, power. It's always great to have Megan, too. So, Not just because everyone else canceled, but it's always great to have <laughs> Megan with us because she's awesome.
0: It's like this whole flu thing going around, apparently.
1: I, I feel like my cousin Vinnie. The whole town's got the flu. <laughs> <laughs> Except for us, and we're here to talk about globalization today. So, it's, it's a fun topic. Um, you know, I myself went to a company from 20 people that was just regional integration-wise. I changed from an integrator to an end user, and now I have to think globally. We have locations around the world. We have projects around the world. And so for my own self over the past year or so, I've had this big shift in going from thinking local to thinking global. It's not just changing jobs or changing fields that brings this. It, you know, it's become more and more of a factor as more of our manufacturers, more of our technologies, and, of course, more of our integrators are starting to take that jump. Um, Megan, what are the opportunities for integrators to explain, expand globally? I, I mean, so it seems like a new thing. There,
2: yeah, there's a lot. First of all, I'm going to do a quick plug because in the February issue of SEN is our global issue and we talk about exactly this. There's so much opportunity because, you, you know, before – Even if you had offices overseas, the odds of you knowing like your marketing counterpart, let's say in Germany, so slim. Maybe you emailed them once in a while. Now, like I can jump on the call. We're a UK based company. I can jump on a call with somebody in England and it's like I'm in their office. You know, we did our website. They did our entire website and I was there the whole time. And that's all because of the technology. And especially when companies want things to be standardized across the board. So if I'm in the office in London or I'm in the office in New York, it doesn't matter. I'm still going to be using the same technology. It's still going to work the same way. It's a big opportunity for integrators, but there's also lots of considerations that need to be had about localization.
1: Right. So, so give us, uh, if you have a, an idea, what, what are some of the ways you could introduce yourself and your team to a new local market? Or what are some of these considerations that, that you brought up that, that you really have to think about before you make that jump?
2: I think the biggest thing is making sure there's not, you just don't want to expand, but there's an actual need for you to expand because yeah, everyone wants global domination. You know, you want to run the world. You want your company to be that billion trillion dollar company. But in reality, that might not happen for you. You have to really make sure that there's something that's going to drive your business because it's expensive to expand. Um, and it's, there's a lot more challenges than expanding just in the U S you know, you're, going through currencies, languages, there's lots of considerations. So I think the first thing is make sure there is a need that you want that you can be successful there. And then it's all about localization, finding local people,
0: local labor laws. That's so what I was going to say. Gonna,
2: how how important it is money? to find
0: local people and local – Yeah. We're used to the local culture and currencies. And,
2: and there's mm-hmm. things for integrators that maybe you want to expand, but you're not quite ready to have a physical – presence, you know, there's things like PSNI, where you can join, you know, Haley is one of the people that was supposed to join us today. And I'm sure it'd be a good point for her right now to jump in. But um, you can join a network like that, where you have partners that hold your same standards and values, but you're not doing it in that country.
1: Right? Because I imagine there would be a lot of like, not even just the currencies and the languages, as barriers, but also some some of the regulatory things. I yeah. mean, here, even just going state to state, I know for integrators or integration firms in the East Coast to do a project in the Midwest or, or South Southwest or you know, even Pacific um, side of the country, there, there would be a lot of different local laws regarding low voltage, regarding electrical licensing, regarding reciprocality of, of you know, carrying over your credentials. Add to that entirely new national laws. I mean, at least we're here all under the same NEC, you know, we're all under the same right. basic yeah. framework. Um, you know, other other than going with an exclusively local force or, or buying out maybe a local company might be a better option for a lot of integrators merging with somebody in the home country. I mean, is, is there a way to do this that doesn't cost forever in time and research and And money. (laughs) Partnerships is
2: probably the way to go because there's, I mean, you never will get around researching and money. Right. You know, those are so important. But even if you think about like in terms of marketing, there's so many new privacy laws. Like they have GDPR. We don't have that. A lot of companies here try to follow it, but now California has its own privacy law. right? And how is that going to vary? Even here from state to state, you know, there's regulation is a tough animal.
1: (laughs) That's, having been an integrator, that is a very true statement. (laughs) Um, So, well, we just talked about a couple. What are some of the most common pitfalls that you can run into when you try to expand beyond your borders? Um, And, you know, how do we overcome those? Do do we have any suggestions or ideas there?
2: Labor laws are huge. You know, um, here it's basically hire and fire at will. Like, if I hire Dawn and she's not the right fit after three months, I can just say, Thank you for your time goodbye and it's an easy <laughs> but that would never happen yeah <laughs> but it's a relatively easy thing to do you know in other countries in Europe especially
0: it That's is a not a really easy. good point yeah it's yeah. really hard to get rid of people there
1: well and I, I would imagine uh, you know going back to the regulatory end just even things like health and safety I know from talking to some of my friends in the UK, oh health and safety health and safety oh they're the they're the ones that come in and they make OSHA look like piker's you know they they, they just have so many rules and regulations with health and safety and then i look at some of my former coworkers that did one-off projects like in the Middle East or, or some parts of Asia, and you've got your workers climbing up these, I mean, I, I hesitate to even call them ladders because it's just some boards tied together and they're scrambling up the side of a building and, you know, you think it's going to fall apart at a breath. So i I would imagine knowing just the local customs and how it relates to the regulatory requirements would be huge in a a huge challenge to overcome and also to adapt to, you know, sending over an American worker who's used to like OSHA into something even more strict or way less strict would be, would be um, an adjustment
2: at the very least. I know a manufacturer, I won't name names, but they manufacture in another country because their standards are not nearly as strict and people aren't going to pay as much for their product So it doesn't need as many features and that includes safety features right because people there are more they do care more about price than they do about safety and you have to really understand the local culture and that's including like you you want to have a global corporate culture and that's you know you can have your overriding values but you still have to localize it because what we do here even in let's say the chicago office is probably very different than how they operate in New York or California. Now, ac- apply that across the globe, and it's going to be hugely different.
1: Right. Um, I think one thing, and, and here, just speaking for my current company, working in the government sector, one thing to be concerned about, I would think, moving to a more global presence for companies is how that will impact some of your existing customers, I find this a lot with the manufacturers, but as more integrators begin to have global presence, it's something we'd have to take into account there. And that's what companies are, or what countries are you in, and what countries are you using? Because I know there are a lot of fantastic uh, manufacturers and fantastic products that I've used a lot in my career that I can't even look at in my current position because they're factories in China or their factor their things are made in you know country XYZ I don't even know the whole list that we can't or shouldn't use in certain situations and and that sort of thing would be sort of a key deciding factor of whether we could use you I imagine as more integrators move overseas that that could become an issue particularly if we're looking at like partnerships or, or buying.
2: That's a great point. I was with some manufacturers this week and one of the things we did talk about was manufacturing overseas and how things are named made in America when really they're just assembled in America and some of the parts came from overseas or even, you know, going as far as like the tariffs and how that's affecting business here. And I'm sure it affects business overseas. And I know one manufacturer in particular had shipped things from China to somewhere in Europe and then imported it because they weren't paying the tariffs then, and it trying to go around it, which I'm sure was still more expensive. But it's
0: it, yeah. that's a good point, though, because like I work with a company here in Minneapolis that manufactures um, speakers, and they do everything made in the U.S. So I mean, they don't nothing from China, no, you know, nothing, you know, overseas. And it's it's interesting because we were just talking about you know competition and margins and everything, and I mean these guys are like the nicest, most Midwest people on the planet. They're wonderful. But it's like, it's so funny because they're like, it's so hard to make money because, you know, we're trying to get grills. <laughs> you know, we get them made here, you know, and, and we're paying $4,000 for them and our competitors are paying 400 because they're getting them from China. They're like, how do we compete with that? And it's like, we got, I'm like, I don't, I, you know, and then I say, frankly, I'm like, I don't know. You know, we have, to, we have to ramp up marketing. We have to talk about it. We have to tout it. But it's like, it's really, really hard to, you know, to do that. And, it, you know, and the, and the tariffs and stuff, I don't know a whole lot about. But I mean, you know, we're going to have to start rethinking the way we do business and how we do manufacturing and where we get some of this stuff from.
1: Right. Well, I know even before I came to my current company that has very strict rules about where we can get things, the in, last integrator I was with did a lot of federal government. Or I mean, we're here in the Baltimore, D.C. region. Of course, we do some government work. But it's amazing the amount of regulations that even as an integrator, you have to follow for all of your products. I'd be calling on the phone different, different manufacturers reps and saying, okay, I need to know, do you adhere to such and such shipping and non-human slavery regulations in bringing your products over and they're like we don't know what's on the boat that brings our speakers or our whatever over right. you know and they're just all these different regulations there's environmental regulations that you know if you're overseas that you have to adhere to you know the the shipping and and do they use human slaves and I mean there are like you know envir- uh, environmental impact as overseas as well as in the shipping and There were so many, I would have reams of paperwork, country of origin, country of origin of parts, country of, you know, all of this involved just in submitting a bid. And then when you're on the end of the end of the, you know, as the end user where you have to shop for these things, it just really becomes easier to say everything's made Minneapolis. I'll pay eight times as much for that. And then we wonder why a toilet seat costs the federal government, you know, $20,000. <laughs> it's this kind of thing. Right. But um, so it, it's kind of a fact that we've dealt with in AV that a lot of our products have been sort of conceived and manufactured in Asia for a long time, not to just pick on China. You know, Japan has been big since the 80s and Korea and, and all of these. So it's not new to us. But I think the idea of taking our integrators and and some of our, like, reps and things globally is kind of the new factor for many of us. So moving on, you know, we're a month out, not even a month out from ISE. How do shows like ISE help with this globalization conversion? Um, and, I, and disclosure, I've never been to ISE. I'd like to go someday. But um, Megan and Kelly, both of you have been. What? what's good about going to isc or how does that help you when you're looking to move from the local or the federal to the global
2: what's interesting to me about isc is how the show has grown so much that it's really become it's surpassed infocom in my opinion as the place where people release new products i you know people i don't want to say people don't release products at infocom because that's obviously untrue but i think a lot more get maybe announced at ISE and then they're ready to ship by the time Infocom comes around and it's a good way to kick off the new year. So I think because of that, we've seen a lot more attendees from the U S and I think they've really seen that growth because of that. And same thing with companies. I mean, it's gotten so big, they can't even stay in Amsterdam anymore. This is their last year there and they're moving to Barcelona next year.
0: Well, I think it, I think ISE just helps give, you know, a platform or a destination um, that, you know, somewhat centrally located you know between asia and the united states you know what i mean so it's it's a place where people can get to but it's it's that physical platform where we can have these conversations like we're having today you know where we can actually meet these people face to face we can you know i don't i'm not going at least at this point, to any of the sessions. But I mean, I think they cover a lot of a lot of these topics. Um, you know, how to introduce a product into a new market, you know, what are the latest technologies, the regulations. I think all of these conversations are happening there. So I think, I mean, Megan, like you said, you know, it. I think, you know, five, 10 years ago, I don't think there were, you know, that many U.S.-based people that would go to the show other than manufacturers, because Infocom was kind of the big thing. But now I think, because we're you know globalization is taking place and the world is just becoming easier to communicate with, that a lot of people are actually going to this show and trying to figure out how to expand into other markets, other geographies. And I think ISC is really the the place to do it. It's you know, like you said, it's the biggest show. You know, Don, you even mentioned it, it's the biggest show in the world and it's 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 just for lack of a better phrase, it's it's kind of the place to be.
1: <laughs> so so we've heard from all the marketing. and so I have FOMO every year when you all head over there. We got to get you a cheap ticket to just come and hang out and see it <laughs> and eat all the stroopwaffle. That's what it's about. Yes. The last year for that. I'm going
2: to have to waffle. find someone to bring that back for you. <laughs> for
1: sure. Yeah. Note to everybody listening or watching, bring don stroopwaffle. Thank you. Um, so good. <laughs> so, uh, you know, going off script a little bit here, um, I mean, we've had over the past, say decades, some big companies on the, the the SCN lists and some of the other magazine lists of biggest integrators that have attempted to make the jump to global and then ended up pulling back quite considerably. I don't want to name names, but I know there's at least one or two here on the East Coast that were very big integrators, structured cable, you know, do, do all the things, made that big push overseas, Asia, Europe, you know, uh, Middle East. And then, they weren't, um, <laughs> you know, and some of that comes down to these pitfalls like language, like l- learning the regulatory and, the, and the, the customs of the area. And some of it's purely financial. Um, you know, do you have any kind of advice or suggestions for integrators that might be listening that uh, are considering moving outside their borders to maybe not come become a case study on what not to do?
2: I think it's smart. One, like I said earlier, research, research, research. That's the partnership. Research, yeah. Maybe start with a partnership and see how that goes. And you, like you said, there's mergers and acquisitions are huge right now. Maybe that's the right route for you to go. But dip your toes in the water first. Don't just say, "We're going worldwide," and then open offices in 15 cities across the globe. Start one in one place. Concentrate there. See how it goes. You can learn your mistakes in one city versus 15.
1: Yeah, maybe one local little black eye versus right. a global catastrophe. Yeah,
2: I mean, we're not getting press releases. We definitely get press releases when people are opening new offices. We don't get them
1: when they close them.
2: <laughs> you know?
1: That's that's very true. Uh, Kelly, do you have any, like, sort of one piece of advice or suggestions that you might come across for someone that's thinking of going global? I mean, I've never
0: worked for a company that's really gone global, per se, or like opened an office somewhere else. Um, but with the companies, you know, whether it's a manufacturer, an integrator, you know, just reiterating what Megan said before, is create those partnerships, um, you know, with other integrators, subcontract perhaps, or, you know, figure out some way that you can deal with the local culture and all this stuff so you don't have to learn, learn it on your own from scratch. Um, and then as a manufacturer, you know, there's always distributors, Sometimes you can find rep firms, you know, not as much internationally, but you'll find those distributors and those people that are local to the areas that can speak to your product, that can speak to the audience that they're familiar with and a culture that they're familiar with, you know, and, and can handle all of the logistical stuff that are just a plain nightmare from, <laughs> from my, I mean, <laughs> yeah okay. and. Find it, finding the local presence, I think, is really important just because you don't know what you don't know,
1: right? And coming from the end user perspective, I can tell you that, like I mentioned earlier, I've currently, I'm currently overseeing projects around the U.S. and around the globe, um, and I know we like to standardize on products and technologies and system designs. We also like to standardize on quality, And that's the most important factor, really, um, is having that quality. And I believe Kelly and I and whoever our guests were on that show some months ago talked about when you expand offices or have satellite offices or when you go through these mergers and acquisitions, you know, you can have 10,000 offices and that's great, whether they're all throughout the U.S. or worldwide. But if you can't assure that quality, that same level of craftsmanship, that same level of responsibility, consistency across the board... You know, it's gonna give you a black eye. And there are some great big integrators in this world that like I know my bosses don't wanna use anymore because one or two of their branches just bungled things so badly that they're kind of on a no-fly list for us. Whereas other companies or partnerships like PSNI, you can find local presence, you can you can have a local office that still meets that level of consistency, that level of quality. And that's really what's important so that you know my office in country A works the same as my office in country B which works the same as all of my different state offices for instance. Right. So that's my advice is make sure if you do expand you go through the same training or the same level of quality the same requirements for certifications and such. Um, well said. That's, that's my end. shot. <laughs> <laughs> the last word from <laughs> Right. I like it. <laughs> Um, so you know we were a little short today because we were a little short-handed thanks to the flu everyone get your flu shots flu season's not over i've been watching those netflix documentaries and it's the end of the world so make sure you get your flu shots and um but we are very grateful that megan came on the show today megan Dutta from future where can folks find you or future or any other thing you want to plug right here oh so, again
2: check out the february issue of SDN magazine because it's the global issue and we have like very detailed on all of the stuff we talked about today, which you can find online at avnetwork.com. You can find SCN Magazine on the Twitters at SCN Mag, and you can find me online at Megan A. And
1: you will be at ISC. Do you have a stand number or a location where you'll be, or will you just be all over? I will be everywhere. (laughs) So if you're at ISC, keep an eye out. You might run into Megan. If you do say hi, because I'm sure she loves being said hi (laughs) to.
2: Take a selfie with me.
1: Uh, and my lovely co-host Kelly. Uh, where can folks find you? Where can folks find your organization, organizations, and where can folks find you at ISC?
0: Um uh Kelly Perkins, KellyPperkins.com. Um I am working for the NSCA Ignite uh, initiative as well as some other customers and attempting to go out on my own a bit here um, with the super creative name of Kelly Perkins Marketing. Um But I'm on Twitter, Kelly P. Perkins, LinkedIn, Facebook, all the social media places. So uh, yeah, reach out if you need help or if you just want to say hi. I will be at ISE, not in a super official capacity, but um, I'll be running around. So if you want to meet up or take a selfie with me and maybe with Megan and me, uh, give me a holler.
1: There you go. I'm sure you can catch up with everybody on Twitter while you're at the show, because I know if it's like Infocom, we're always on those phones, uh, setting up meetings and and tweet ups and such.
2: We should uh, plug the AV tweet up, actually.
1: Uh, We'll go right ahead. So the
2: AV Nation (laughs) AV tweet up is in the Poly booth on Tuesday from 430 to 530.
1: And if you've never been to one of those, please come by because they are always enjoyable at Infocom and other shows. I'm sure ISC is just as enjoyable, but on a global scale, (laughs) (laughs) since that's what the show is all about. Um, As for me, I'm one of your hosts. I'm Dawn Mead. Uh, You can't follow me at my company because I work in the federal sector and it's a secret, but you can always find me on the Twitters and the LinkedIn's and the Instas and everything else. If you don't find me at AV Dawn, you will find me at Dawn Mead, M-E-A-D-E. Um, And of course, I'm always here on avnation.tv. I was on last week's AV Week, so check that out. Check out all of our podcasts and also check out our sponsors and our underwriters because they make all of this possible and we appreciate all of their support. But uh, that's avnation.tv. We thank you so much for watching and listening to this month's AV Social Podcast and we'll see you around.